You are tuned into Locked On Royals on the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host, Jack Johnson. It's a mailbag Friday. You have questions. I have some answers, so we're going to dive into that. And there's a new top 30 for the Royals farm system. Which guys are in? Which guys are out? We're going to discuss all of that coming up next on Locked On Royals. You are Locked On Royals, your daily Kansas City Royals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. First things first, thank you for making Lockdown Royals your first listen every day. And as you know by now, you can find us on all those podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music. And don't forget, you can find us on YouTube as well. We've had tons of subscribers over the last month or so. So be the next one to do so. Just hit that red button that hits subscribe. And you can comment on any video I post. You can send me questions. That's perfect because we have a mailbag Friday. But if you're not really into going into YouTube or or downloading one of the apps and going through that outlet. Just follow me on Twitter at Johnny J underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore one five. I will let you know when I'm tweeting out all those links. It'll be a simple click and you can listen to all of our stuff right there from Twitter. But this is one of my favorite segments to do. I look forward to this every single Friday and it's been really good over the last two times that we've done a Mailbag Friday. And because we had so many questions, I thought it'd be good just to break this into two segments here. So we're going to answer about five to six here in the first part of the show. And then we're going to answer some more in the second part of our show and wrap it up, of course, talking some Royals minor league ball. Who is in the top 30? There's a new number one. And which guy completely fell out of the top 30, though not too, too much of a surprise there. Let's dive right into it with some of the questions that you shot at me. And again, you can reach me on Twitter. You can either tweet it publicly. You can direct message me. Or if you want to try through YouTube, I'll try to find your questions there, assuming I'm just not too caught up or too busy covering this team and trying to give you the best content possible. But let's kick it off here. This is from Bill Self's Barbecue Grill. He asked me, how do you see MJ progressing the next few years? What's his ceiling? What's his floor? I think it's a fantastic question and worthy because of how he looked in that Boston series, how he's looked since the All-Star break. I'll tell you this right now. My future expectations for MJ Melendez have changed a little bit. And I think the Royals would be stupid not to change theirs as well. Um, I think he's young enough at this point that you're not willing to to cut bait. You're not willing to, to move him or trade him or anything. I think the Royals still value him a lot. And now that you're seeing the offensive numbers surge a little bit, guess what it's doing? It's hiding his deficiencies in the field, uh, where he's still a well below average outfielder in right field and in left field. Look, when he's hitting like this at the plate, it's not as bad, you know, because you're getting that type of power, that type of pop, that type of production from a guy that's playing not a really a premier position. It's a tough position to learn. We've discussed this on the show. But right field and left field, you have tremendous power. You have the numbers he's been posting after the All-Star break. It's worth it to have that bad defense. So as for how he's going to progress, I mean, he's got to stay on this course. He can't go through another really bad slump because then you are thinking about moving on. There are guys more deserving of that spot, whether that be through free agency, whether that be through trade. The Royals are going to have to really give him a position, I think, move forward with it. I don't think it's going to be catcher. So commit to right or left field and go from there. That way he can just focus on learning that in the offseason 
and worrying about improving his approach at the plate. But we've already seen that in the second half. He's very coachable. He's adapted to a lot of stuff. I think his ceiling is being a, a 25 to 30 home run guy in the outfield. Uh, WRC plus, I think right around league average, maybe a little bit higher than that. 110 would be my guess. You're hoping for a walk rate anywhere from 8 to 10%. Strikeout numbers, I'd like to get down to about 20% there. Um, you look at a slug, maybe, oh, 500 or so. Uh, that might be shooting for the moon there a little bit in terms of a ceiling. But that defense, I don't think, is ever really going to significantly improve. He's probably always going to be a below-average defender in right field. But if you're hitting the way that he is, there's no need to worry about it. If, he, if he's giving you that production at the plate, I can live with bad defense in the outfield. But if he's not, then yes, you got to move on from there. So the floor, I think the floor is what we saw from him in the first half. I mean, a really, really uh, poor player in terms of what you got defensively, what you got at the plate. That's a black hole in your lineup, and that's a liability in the field. That's the floor for me. But as he progresses the next couple of years, I'd imagine he stays around. I'd imagine he stays in right field. Want to see that power start from spring training on next year. That way you can get into that 25 to 30 home run era uh, for MJ Melendez. So great question there from Bill Selves Barbecue. Next question I got on Twitter was from Mark. He said, when will they spend money and not continue to hide behind evaluation? I've said this before. I'm going to stand by it. They're going to spend this offseason. They have to because they are at a crossroads with this fan base that I don't think you can go through another offseason without spending any money and expect support. Uh, evaluation years are very tough, and this year has been brutal for the Royals. They're 37 and 80, 43 games under 500. There are good pieces. We like Bobby Witt Jr. We like Michael Garcia. Vinny Pasquantino's coming back. You like Reagans. You like Singer. You like Massey. You like Fermin. You like Melendez. Uh, maybe you like a guy who's getting his Royals debut tonight and Nelson Velasquez. There are some nice pieces, but a lot of unproven. And I think the Royals are going to spend some money in the offseason on some pitching. I think they're going to add about two guys to the rotation and not just you know, bargain bin shopping. No, it's going to be a, a two-year deal, a three-year deal, maybe depending what the money looks like. I've said Jordan Montgomery's a guy I'd really try to go gun for. You can always go through the trade route, though there's not much to trade if you are the Royals. Uh, you could go for a bounce-back candidate like Martin Perez. Uh, maybe you go for somebody like a Jake Odorizzi who has dealt with injuries. They are going to spend because they kind of know where the rotation is now. If Brad Keller is not going to be a part of it, I don't think Daniel Lynch is going to be a part of it. Chris Bubich, working from Tommy John, don't see him being a part of it. Probably going to move on from Jordan Lyles, going to move on from Zach Granke. So it's Reagan Singer, and I'd build it through free agency a bit there. I bet they add a corner outfield bat as well. Maybe some center field help. I love Kevin Kiermeyer. I like what he's brought to Toronto. think he'd be a good fit in Kansas City on a one- or two-year deal just to lock it down both at the plate and defensively out there. So you asked the question, Mark, when are they going to spend? I think it's this offseason. They have to. You want support for a downtown stadium, you have to show first you can put money into a team first. Next question I got was from Water Season on Twitter. He said, who do we get rid of this offseason if we want to be competitive in the next three seasons? I'm assuming this means players, and I think everybody on a one-year deal is going to be walking. I don't think they're going to bring back anybody. I hinted at Nick Whitgren getting a chance to to maybe surprise some people on a one-year deal, but he's got to really pitch lights out down the stretch. He's been good of late, but he's kind of got to be the best guy in that bullpen. I'd imagine they're going to move on from somebody like Kyle Isbell. I'd imagine they're moving on from Edward Olivares. Dyron Blanco is another one, I think, in the bullpen. You know, John Heasley, they're probably going to move on from. Um, I would say they're going to have to make a decision on, oh, man, the catching position is tough. 
Do you want to move Salvador Perez? I think Freddie Fermin can get that spot. If not, then Salvi's going to stay, and that bumps out somebody else. You know, because Vinny Pasquantino's going to play first base. DH is open. You know, where does Nick Prado fit in? I think there's not going to be too many shocks, surprise cuts, or surprise DFAs. The Royals are going to be adding, which means some guys are going to be on the, the outside looking in. I think a lot of those guys are going to be in the bullpen, though. I'd imagine they return Carlos Hernandez, Austin Cox, and maybe Alec Marsh. Then I don't think anybody else is coming back from that group. Rotation-wise, I don't see Lyles coming back. I know he's got an extra year of control, but Royals are going to find a way out of cut bait on that. Granky's not coming back. And as far as Lynch and Bubich, too banged up, can't count on them. I also think you could throw Jackson Coar on that list of maybe not being Kansas City. Could be stuck in the minor leagues, but I don't think that he's going to be up at the big league club next year in 2024. Next question I got was from Dwight. Will JJ and his associates ever be judged on their own merits, or will most fans always assume nothing has or will ever change as long as he has the job? Dwight, it's very simple here. If they start winning, it's going to be just how we treated Dayton Moore. Right? Dayton Moore got if not more criticism than J.J. Piccolo early on in his career. I mean, when the team wasn't improving, what do you point to? You point to ownership, you point to front office, you point to managers. Then you start blaming the players. If the Royals start winning and they start getting top 100 prospects, they will be judged in a more positive light. But since they are in their first year, and this is a team that is barreling toward their worst record in franchise history, then they are going to be judged simply on that. A lot of fans just care about wins and losses. They don't care about minor league production. And I don't really blame anybody because if you only care about the Royals, why should you care about somebody who's three or four years away? So I think once that turns around, it's unfortunate for guys in the front office, but they're all fully aware of what that job entails, the criticism they get. You win games, people are going to praise you. You make a big time trade, they're going to praise you. That trade doesn't work out. That signing doesn't work out. They're going to blame you for it. They're going to hate you for it. And right now, there's a lot of blame, but I still will stand by the fact that there's been some improvements pitching development-wise in the minor league level, at the major league level as well, but it's not going to be a, a day and night change in one year. It takes some time. As they say, Rome wasn't built in one day, so this is one of those scenarios where it is going to take some time. Okay, we still got plenty of more questions to get to here on a Mailbag Friday, so we're going to take a quick break when we come back. We got more questions to dive into about the Kansas City Royals. That's coming up on Lockdown Royals. You are tuned into Lockdown Royals on the Lockdown Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jack Johnson. Before we dive into any more questions, let's give a shout out to today's title sponsor in Sleeper. I've got some very fun picks for you going into tonight. I'm going to do the nightcaps around Major League Baseball. Going to kick it off with that Orioles Mariners series. That one is incredibly intriguing to me. So you're going to have Luis Castillo going for the M's, and you're going to have Kyle Gibson, who I do really like in free agency, going for the O's, who still have not been swept since calling up Adley Rutschman. But I do like the way Seattle's been playing. The Royals will see them on Monday at Kauffman Stadium. They are red hot, and I feel like they are running into Baltimore at the right time. So I think that this offense is going to score more than four and a half runs off Kyle Gibson in this game. I don't want to really pick one player to shine there. I just like the team as a whole there. So I think I'm going to go with over four and a half runs for the Seattle Mariners against Kyle Gibson. The other nightcap I got is Lance Lynn, who has looked really good in Dodgers uniform. He's going up against the lowly Colorado Rockies at Dodger Stadium. Give me Lance Lynn going more than six innings and striking out more than eight guys against this Rockies lineup, a Rockies team that is 45 and 70. Going into this game, Lance Lynn, I think he's found himself once again with the Dodgers. 
He'll be hitting the open market as well. He's somebody I think you can take a chance on. Don't look at the ERA. Some of the advanced numbers really favor Lance Lynn, and I like him tonight against the Rockies at Dodger Stadium. So with Sleeper, here is what you need to do. Number one, do you feel confident in my picks? Sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong. But if you aren't as confident in me, you can always make your own picks. So with Sleeper, you can swing for the fences with up to 100 times the payouts. All you have to do is choose two or more players that you like and select more or less on their stat categories like home runs, strikeouts, hits, and more. Get your picks right, and you could win big with Sleeper. Let's get right back into it and answer some more questions that you guys sent my way. Going to Spoons, who asked me uh, another question that he has, that Mark G on 810 talked about Reagans and how he's 100% going to break down for this team, and the reason he wasn't throwing like this in Texas was because they knew if he did this, he would break. Are we somewhat worried about this with two Tommy Johns? See, I, I never really go into that with guys that have injury concerns. And I don't think the Royals or Reagans are doing anything wrong. Because at the end of the day, if you find something in a player, it doesn't matter who they are. Injuries are a part of the sport. You can't dial it back. You can't reel it in in fear of injuries. You know, what, what are you going to tell Cole Reagans? Don't throw as hard. You know, to me, it's not so much about the velocity. It could be about the motion, repeating the motion. Yes, he's had two Tommy Johns, but that's the sport. You know, guys can can tear up their knee. They can blow out their shoulder. It doesn't matter how they're doing certain things, how hard they're throwing, how hard they're swinging. It just happens. Could he get injured? Could something bad happen? Yes, just with any player or any athlete that's ever played a sport. There is a risk in that. But I'm truly not worried about that right now. I don't think we should find ways to blame the Royals or Reagans for doing what he's doing right now. You know, if he's got high velocity, high spin rate, and he's performing well, why should he not be dialing it up? Why should he not be throwing hard anymore? Why should he take miles per hour? If anything, that's going to screw up his arm even more because you're going from high velocity to low velocity. So if you ask me right now, concern level, yeah, the guys had two Tommy Johns. You know, you think, what are the odds of a third one? Probably pretty low, but again, as I said, with any athlete, any sport, there is risk of injury every single time. Any pitcher in baseball can blow out their elbow. As unfortunate as it sounds, as disappointing as it sounds, that can happen. But right now for Cole Reagans, that's the least of my worries. If it happens, it's incredibly unfortunate, but that's not something I'm focusing on. And I don't really agree with, with trying to pinpoint something the Royals or Reagans are doing wrong with the way that he's playing right now. Uh, this is from 150 Guacamole on Twitter. The Royals have the second worst record in baseball, 28th ranked farm system on fan graphs, which includes trades. Uh, the fact that we traded Andrew Benintendi, Whit Merrifield, Santana, compensatory pick that turned into prospects. How did John Sherman get sold into believing that no front office changes should happen? Listen, I, I think the common misperception we all have, including myself, is that the Royals did nothing. Like when John Sherman came in, he fired Dayton Moore, and that was it. And to an extent, that kind of was the gist of it. The big firing was Dayton Moore. But it's not always as simple as just gutting everything. I mean, the Royals have bright minds in their system, but even a couple bright minds doesn't mean that it's going to solve everything or it's going to be a, a night and day difference. It doesn't happen overnight. And I think that there is a case where there are guys that maybe have overstayed their welcome. They have continued to screw up on certain picks, but I feel like a lot of it comes down to the Royals started their their pitching development last year. Uh, Danny Ontiveros is 
one of the guys making the picks, one of the head scouts making the picks, you know, dealing with front office personnel moves like that. I think John Sherman, you know, made a pretty big move in, in firing Dayton Moore, a guy that had been there forever. But I truly believe if change is going to happen and significant change, a lot of it is riding on the farm system right now and the guys they just added to the farm system. If this draft class doesn't work out, then you're in a heap of trouble. Then in a lot of the guys that you've talked up, if they don't pump out any all-stars, you're not getting you know significant development down in double-A, down into triple-A, you've got big-time problems. I just I don't know if at that point in time, firing Dayton Moore, the next move should have been gut everything. I, I think when they evaluated it, they like J.J. Piccolo. J.J. Piccolo likes some guys in the system. And yeah, they're rolling with it right now. It may bite them in the butt in the end. But this is where they're at right now. And I'm not going to really get too caught up in, in a 37 and 80 season right now. Next year at this time, I think I'll have a much more clear picture as to where this draft class is, where this farm system is. And then at that point, maybe it is time to move on with a lot of guys in the farm system. Spoons had another question. He's not an MJ fan, but where does he fit on this team if he actually finishes with a strong second half? He's not a good enough hitter for corner outfielder at DH. Do you try and make him a catcher? Or is he in purgatory of being positionless? No idea what trade value he has with his potential. Touched on this a little bit with MJ Melendez. I think for right field, there are a lot of bad defensive right fielders. But if you can hit incredibly well, that can make you valuable that spot. And he's athletic enough. He's He's got, uh, I think, a 97th or 98th percentile in arm strength. Like That's pretty good for right fielder. He's athletic enough. Now, jumps, routes, that's not very good right now. I would say overall outfield IQ, it's not very high right now. But he needs a full offseason to work with that. I mean, MJ Melendez was catching back in April. And then he had to learn on the fly right field. Don't think he's in purgatory. I think there's trade value. But right now, if he finishes the, the second half in a strong way, well, there are ways you could do it. You know, if he becomes your best hitter in the second half or second best hitter, I'm rolling with him in right field. Try to give him a full offseason, working out there, getting comfortable with the position, and you can always improve that play. You know, I think like a, a Kyle Schwarber is a bad example. Kyle Schwarber is a disaster in left field. You can DH him a lot. I'd like to see them DH Melendez a lot more next season, but that also really depends on Salvador Perez. Where is he? Is he in Kansas City? Is he somewhere else? Is he traded away? You know, that's that's the big question there. I think MJ Melendez for 2024, he is a fit there. And if you're not going to be seriously contending, I'd still like to see what you can do with him in right field. Jackson asked on Twitter if you had to compare Cole Reagans to any big league pitcher so far, who would it be? For me, I see a lot of Blake Snell. That might be shooting a bit high because of how good Blake Snell's been this year. I really like the comparison, even though he's not pitching in the bigs. He's trying to make a comeback, but it's former Royal Danny Duffy. Danny Duffy in his prime was a very good pitcher. Big strikeout numbers, high velocity. I thought he had a really good curveball slider mix that Reagans kind of has. Reagans has that slider and that cutter. I think the demeanor of both those guys, the smooth delivery, it reminds me a lot of Danny Duffy. And I, I've liked that comparison ever since it was brought up on Twitter. I can't remember who exactly said Danny Duffy. I apologize. I can't give the credit to that. But it is one comp I really, really like. And I think the Royals can start there with trying to build him up. You get a healthy Danny Duffy in his prime. We saw how good he was. I mean, the, the game against Tampa in 2016, the 16 strikeouts or whatever it was, like that's that's electric stuff from a lefty. And right now, Reagans is showing he has electric stuff as one of, if not the best pitcher in the rotation for the Royals right now. Devin asked two questions on Twitter. Uh, September call-ups are around the corner. Who do you see getting the calls? Uh, well, they can add two guys right now, and they also could cut bait with a couple others. Uh, who knows if they keep 
you know, journeymen like Matt Duffy and Matt Beatty on there. If they move on from Matt Duffy or Matt Beatty, Devin Mann's getting that call. Um, right now, Drew Waters on the bereavement list, so hope all is well with his family. But I'd imagine Nelson Velasquez grabs one of those spots once Drew Waters comes back, whenever that may be. Pitching-wise, I think Anthony Veneziano is on there. Now, these are 40-man roster moves, so some guys are going to have to get bumped off the 40-man. Uh, Velasquez is on the 40-man, so we don't have to worry about that there. Um, Joe Barlow is a guy I think is going to be come up, coming up here relatively soon. No big-time shocks. If you're talking about rookies, I think Devin Mann and Anthony Veneziano are the best guesses. As for other guys, I mean, Joe Barlow was claimed off waivers from the Rangers. I think he's going to be up in the bullpen very, very soon. Uh, Bolin, long shot. He's not pitching very well in Omaha right now. So that's my best guess right now when looking at the September call-ups, Devin. And the other question he has here, is it too early to consider Reagan's a central part of our team going forward? I think with the state of the rotation, he is a, a part of this future moving forward. That, that, to me, just feels like a perfect fit, a perfect story for the Royals pitching development. If he can stay healthy, man, this is a home run type of trade in which you gave up a role. This Chapman, who threw less than 30 innings, he's 35 years old. You get Reagans and a lottery ticket thrown like Roni Cabrera. That's a home run type of deal. But I do think right now, from what we've seen with Reagans, he's young, great stuff. He is a part of your rotation, not only next year, but moving forward, assuming once again, he can stay healthy. Bob asked on Twitter, who goes at the end of the season? Keller and so on and so forth. Uh, we touched on this a little bit, Bob. So I'm going to say Keller. Yeah, I forgot to mention Keller in that list. Keller, of course, everybody in a one-year deal, I think, is going to be moving on. Wouldn't shock me if they trade Edward Olivares uh, in the offseason. Kyle Isbell is a guy I think could be moved as well. Maybe you don't like what you've seen from Dylan Coleman, who's the opener tonight against the Cardinals. You could always move on from him. Uh, maybe you move Carlos Hernandez. A lot of names, a lot of moving pieces. I just know for a fact that it feels like Bobby Wood Jr., Michael Garcia, Pasquantino, Massey, uh, Waters probably for me. They're all here to stay. Singer, Reagan's add them to conversation. Everybody else kind of up in the air that I would say. Okay, real quickly, last couple questions here. This one's from Trevor what do the Royals do with Prado and Olivares for the rest of the season and into the offseason? Do you see them being traded? Both would probably have to be a part of a package. Again, as I said, I think Olivares is going to be moved. And then I would probably say Prado is going to be back next year. He was hurt, uh, struggled in the second half here. Not really the second half. Second part of his season, struggled mightily, strikeout rates up. I don't know if there's a future fit for him. I want to see the defense improve a little bit. He does have a high walk rate, but I need to see just a little bit more of Nick Prado. I'd expect he's back in 2024. As for Edward Olivares, I'm going to go no on that. Okay, I think that's all the questions that we got. I apologize if I missed any. We are kind of running up on time here in the podcast episode. You are listening to Lockdown Royals on the Lockdown Podcast Network. You are tuning to Lockdown Royals on the Lockdown Podcast Network. I am your host, Jack Johnson. You can always follow me on Twitter at J underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore one five before we wrap things up let's give a rundown to the brand new top 30 of the royals minor league system couple surprises couple of guys that are soon to graduate which will open up more spots for guys that may be able to become eligible to be ranked in the top 30 but it's a farm system right now that is ranked 28th in baseball no top 100s in that group number one it was their first round pick from this year blake mitchell who is Really showing a good eye for the plate in the in the Arizona League for the Surprise Royals. I think he's got nine walks through seven games or something like that. Uh, but does have a problem right now with the strikeouts. Not really hitting for average, but at least for right now, I do like the approach he has in trying to draw more walks. I think the bat will come around for a guy like him. He's number one. 
This guy, I think, is going to be up in Kansas City as early as next year, assuming he can really fast track from double-A AA to triple-A. It's Caden Wallace, their second-round pick from last year out of Arkansas. He is the number two guy on the spot. Ben Kuderna, former product from Blue Valley Southwest locally in Kansas City. He's the number three overall prospect right now. He's in high A. Frank Mozzicato, also in high A in Quad Cities. He's number four on this list. Nick Lofton is number five. Of course, he's in AAA Omaha, kind of bouncing around between the outfield and the infield a little bit, played at second base the other night. Alec Marsh, who appeared last night for Boston, he's soon to graduate, but he is the number six prospect there. Gavin Cross, he is seven after just getting the bump to AA Northwest Arkansas. We'll see how that goes. Carter Jensen is number eight on this list. He's in high A quad cities. Tyler Gentry, he's number nine right now in AAA Omaha. Just had a fantastic month of July. We'll see if the Royals will give him a September call-up moving forward. Blake Walters who they took in the second round. He is number 10 on this list, has yet to pitch professionally for the Royals. Austin Charles made a huge jump all the way up to 11, the six foot four shortstop right now in Lowe, Columbia, still just 19 years old. He's number 11. Chandler Champlain, who has been dominating in double-A, he was in the Andrew Benintendi deal. He is number 12 on the list. Angel Serpa, who will be throwing tonight against the Cardinals. He is 13, again, soon to graduate as well. Mason Barnett, who's been pitching very well this year, he is number 14 on this list, uh, and he's in AA Northwest Arkansas. Just got promoted there as well after a great start in Quad Cities. Javier Vaz, one of the later round picks last year out of Vanderbilt, super utility guy. He is in AA Northwest Arkansas now. Again, just got the promote right alongside Mason Barnett. He's number 15. Carson Rockefort, one of their draft picks this year, college outfielder. He's had a great start in low A Columbia playing center field for them. Uh, so he is number 16 on this list. Diego Hernandez, who got hurt in spring training, he's number 17 and playing much better of late in AA Northwest Arkansas. Anthony Veneziano, who I think is just pounding on the door at the big league level. He had 10 strikeouts and six shutout innings last night. He falls at number 18 on this list. Hunter Owen is number 19, the big left-hander out of Vanderbilt. He has yet to pitch professionally after being taken by the Royals. In the fourth round, Noah Cameron, who has been struggling in AA Northwest Arkansas, but was pitching well in Quad Cities. He's number 20 at the list. Samad Taylor is 21. He is soon to graduate as well. 22, David Sandlin, the product out of Oklahoma, pitched in the College World Series last year. He just got the bump to high A. Uh, he falls again at 22 on this list. Jared Dickey, the guy they really went overslot with out of Tennessee. He is at 23 on this list. He has had a very good start in low A Columbia as well. Spencer Nivens, one of my favorite picks from the draft class, another local guy from Missouri State. He is like Dick. He had a great start playing in low A Columbia. He's number 24. I think he's actually a little bit low on this list. Henry Williams, who they acquired in the Scott Barlow deal. He had five shutout innings in his debut. He is number 25. Hero Wyatt, who the Royals took again in day two of the draft. He's number 26. Has yet to pitch professionally. John McMillan, the fireballer, uh, who is down in double A, still striking out tons and tons and tons of hitters. He falls at 27, right behind him, a carbon copy of John McMillan, uh, John McMillan. High strikeout rate, high walk rate. That's Will Klein, who's in AAA Omaha. Probably could see him in the September call-ups as well. Peyton Wilson, the former Alabama Crimson Tide middle infielder. He's at 29 right now in AA Northwest Arkansas. And recently acquired Devin Mann, who has struggled since coming over to the Royals. He's probably soon to join the team as well. 26-year-old guy in AAA. So he rounds it out in the top 30 for the Kansas City Royals. Okay, that is going to do it for another edition of Locked On Royals and the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host, Jack Johnson. Again, find us on all those podcasting platforms. Find us on YouTube and find me on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. You have a great weekend. Enjoyed this I-70 series 
against the St. Louis Cardinals, and we will talk to you on Monday, Kansas City.